Go ahead and have a seat. Hey, you want some good news? Do you know we got like 45 of our teenagers at Lake Ann Camp up in Michigan, and um, it's called Freeze Out that they've got going on up there. And they're up there with about 500 to 600 other kids from the region, all hearing about Jesus. And one of our kids gave their hearts to Jesus last night. And um, we just praise the Lord for that. The Lord is not done changing hearts and changing lives and strengthening the hearts of his people, challenging the hearts of his people, convicting the hearts of people, and saving people from their sin. How awesome is it to serve him? Let me open with these words as we get started today. Do not let your heart be troubled. These are the words of Jesus, by the way. Do not let your heart be troubled. You trust in God, trust also in me. What's interesting is that in that discussion of trust and belief in God, these are the very next words. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, here's the promise, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. (laughs) Even so, come Lord Jesus. He's speaking about our eternal home. He's telling his disciples, his followers, that I am going to go to my father and while I'm there, I'm preparing a place for you and I will come back and receive you. I will bring you back with me and we will be together home in my father's house. Doesn't that sound so good? today. So (laughs) here's the million dollar question. When are we going home? Many of you are asking me that. When is all this going to happen? Well, that's what the disciples were asking, right? The disciples were asking Jesus. We looked at it last week in Matthew chapter 23 and 24. The disciples are asking When will all this take place and what will be the signs of your coming and the signs of the end? Remember? And Jesus spent the rest of his time telling them about the second and third question, giving them the signs of his return and the signs of the end. That's what we worked on um, last week. He ended with this verse, Luke 21, 28. So when all these things begin to happen... Stand and look up, for your salvation is near. What's interesting is that Jesus tells all these signs of the times that we're going to see. These are the things that will happen, and then I will return, and the end of all things will take place. He didn't say, when you see these things happen, stand and look up, your salvation is near. He says, when you begin to see these things, when you see the warm-up, or the buildup, or when you see the labor pains. The labor pains aren't the delivery. The labor pains are getting you ready for the delivery that is to come. The Braxton Hicks contractions. Remember we talked about that. When you begin to see these things happen, stand and look up for your salvation is near. So the question, are we beginning to see these things happen? Yes or no? Yes, you believe that? Then stand up and look up 
Because your salvation is near. Jesus wouldn't tell us that if it wasn't true. He wants us to know that when we see these things begin to happen, look up. It won't be very long. And he's coming to get his bride and he's gonna take us home to be with him. Uh, But as to the question of when, he answers it in Matthew 24, 36. He says, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the son himself, only the father knows. Okay? That's all I have. I'll see you guys next week. <laughs> what he doesn't say is that we won't be able, we, we don't know, no one knows the day or the hour, but it doesn't mean that we won't be able to know that we're getting close. That's what we've been talking about. Last Sunday, I told you that I would spend some time unpacking the, um, the biblical or theological view that First Baptist Church has traditionally held and that I personally hold um, regarding the rapture of the church. When will the rapture happen? Um, Well, I wasn't planning on it being today, and the Lord would not let me go on this, and many of you have been asking me, can you just tell us already? Because we're getting a little anxious. You're telling us about all these things that are gonna happen in the tribulation. Are we gonna be there or not? Prepare us, Phil. And so, um, seriously, the Lord, I tried for two days to do something else, and the Lord kept saying, no. So, the Lord made it clear to me that we need to take a break from our discussion on trying to make sense of the things that are happening in our present day and how they relate to biblical prophecy and settle this thing of the rapture in our minds before we go any further. Um, but I want you to hear me, because some of you might leave me, what's the big deal? Well, it's important for us to wrestle with this truth, um, because I believe that the Bible's teaching about the rapture of the church is not meant to confuse us, it's meant to comfort us and embolden us as we see the day approaching. And in the very core of our beings, we should be encouraged. That's why, at the, at, the, at the thought of the rapture, that's why Paul ends his discussion on the rapture in 1 Thessalonians 4 with these words. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And so that's our goal today. I will tell you that we hit a complete rate train wreck in the first service um, on time. And... I don't really know what's gonna happen today, but people took notes like crazy and we never filled in one blank. (laughs) So we'll see what happens, but I am planning to have this be a two-part sermon. I tried to get it all in one, and that's impossible. Okay, so before I dive in, um, uh, I wanna make a couple of things clear, okay? Um, First of all, I've studied this topic my whole life in and out of formal training um, on on eschatology, on biblical things, and um, I have sat under many passages my entire life from pastors of my past teaching on this. And so um, 
I know what I believe, and I believed it all of my life um, from my teaching, but I, I have I, I've jumped back in to restudy this to make sure that I still believe what I've been taught my whole life. Does that make sense? We need to refresh ourselves in that every once in a while. And I just want to um, tell you that this book right here has been a, a tremendous help to me. I'm not a deep theologian. Um, I, I know this, and here, look at that, look at that title, The Prophecy Pros, Illustrated Guide to Tough Questions About End Time. That's got to be the longest book title ever put on a book. But this is an amazing book because what it does, there's a lot of symbolic language in the prophecies, especially in the Old Testament. And there's a lot of things that you go, what, what is that? And you have to do like some really deep study and do some cross referencing with other passages in order to understand what the symbolism is. And we're gonna talk about that probably not today, I won't get to it, but, probably, but definitely next week. But what these guys have done is they have, um, they have written this in a way that helps you make sense of those symbols all packaged together and really helps. I would, I would encourage you to get this, read it yourself, read it to your children. It's all about everything we're talking about and much more all about eschatology, the, the study of the end times, okay? And a lot of what I'm telling you today um, has helped me because it comes from these men who have written this book. The second thing that is, uh, I wanna make clear, it's so important when addressing these kinds of issues um, to keep this in mind. Some doctrines are non-negotiable. They're called pillars of, their, of our faith or major doctrines that we have to know. We have to know by study of God's word and we have to be clear and there can't be, these doctrines aren't up for interpretation or opinion. They're called major doctrines of our faith. Here are some examples of those. Like, the Bible is the word of God. Okay? This, this isn't up for debate whether or not God's word is the inspired, inerrant word of God. That it can be trusted because it's been preserved over time. God has, has kept it safe and it's true and we can trust it and all truth comes out of God's word. If anyone says, I have a new truth and it's not found in God's word, you can say, no, that is not true. Here's another foundational truth. Salvation comes by faith, by grace, through faith alone. There is only one way to salvation. Jesus himself said and made it crystal clear, no matter what you think, here's the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. If you come to me and you say, you know, I want to debate that a little bit because I think there is another way to salvation, I will say, you're a false prophet. You don't know what you're talking about. There is only one way. Jesus said there is only one way, so there is only one way. Oh, and by the way, that grace and faith given to you has been given to you. You can't even come to God on your own. It takes the Holy Spirit of God that has to come and draw your heart to the Father. You will not go find the Father on your own. The Spirit has to draw you to himself. That's what Jesus said. That's a foundational major doctrine that we will, we cannot disagree, agree to disagree on, okay? 
that has, that's not up for interpretation. That is clearly given to us in the word of God. The Trinity, that, the Father, that God exists in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that they are all God, and Jesus Christ was God and is God, and was there in the beginning with God, and he came because of the love of the Father. He came and gave himself as a substitutionary atonement for our sins. He was buried in a tomb and he rose again the third day. Those are non-negotiables. You can't come and tell me that he didn't really die, he didn't really raise. You can't come and talk to me about that. You're a false prophet if you come and declare you know some truth that has been clearly stated in the scriptures. Those are our major foundational doctrines that are not up for interpretation. You got that? It's got, you've got to be clear on that. Now, on the other hand, there are other doctrines that I can just list out, like modes of baptism, church governance, roles of angels and demons in the spirit world, gifts of the spirit and whether they're used for today or not for today and what do they really mean. And yes, study of the end times, which is called eschatology. While extremely important, these are very beneficial to our growth, but we can interpret them differently based on how we see and view the scriptures. Faithful students of the word since the birth of Jesus Christ have argued some of these minor points of doctrine. But we do not discuss and we do not differ in the major points of doctrine. The evangelical church can agree to disagree on specific parameters of these minor doctrines because like baptism, they have no bearing on our salvation or eternal security and eternal destiny. For centuries, the Church of Jesus Christ has held various viewpoints on minor doctrines while holding unwaveringly to the main tenets of our faith in a spirit of unity. The rapture of the church and when it takes place, not that it's taking place, but when it takes place is one of those that we can agree to disagree on. A German theologian who lived in the 17th century put it so well, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, but in all things, charity, which is love. Some of you may not agree with what I'm about to propose to you and lead you to. Some of you may agree with what I lead you to on this view of the rapture, and yet you benefit from the teaching, sitting underneath some great men and and women of God out there that agree with a different view of the rapture than what you agree with. I just want you to hear this, that's okay. You're not gonna go to hell if you don't agree with me. And I'm not going to hell if I don't agree with you. You got it? I'm telling you this is not something to fight about. We can, we can have different opinions. I, I have a strong opinion about when the rapture will happen. I'm gonna share that with you. And those of you who disagree will find out when the rapture happens that you were wrong. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just joking around. 
but not really. All right. Here's the goal. In our spirits, let's fight to preserve a sense of unity and charity with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, even if we disagree on this, okay? Um, some really good-hearted people are emailing me in anticipation of this to tell me how wrong I am and how I'm hurting my congregation in the way that I'm speaking to you. And I, I want you to know that there's no intent in that. I, there, there's no need for that. Um, the rapture is going to happen. Um, there's little debate about among evangelical believers about whether Christ is gonna come and rescue his bride. There are very few evangelical believers who would say, no, Jesus isn't coming back for his bride. It's clear in scripture it's gonna come back. We just don't know when in relation to the tribulational period. Um, we all believe in Christ's return to earth to establish his kingdom. That's the second coming of Christ. We know that's going to happen at the end of the tribulation. Nobody doubts that that's going to happen and when it's going to happen. We just don't know exactly when the rapture is going to take place in light of all that. So I want to give you a simplified look of the three main viewpoints concerning the rapture's timing and then I'm gonna unpack them a little bit more and then I'll explain what we hold to um, and what viewpoint we hold to as a local church, okay, and me as your pastor. So here's um, main views graphic, okay, that we have. Here are the three main views. There's actually five views on this, but the second and third are not mainly held, and so I'm not gonna spend time on that. You can look that up on your own. But you've got the uh, three main views here. The first is the pre-tribulation rapture. Those who hold to a pre-tribulation rapture believe that Christ will return to rescue his church before the seven-year tribulation period happens. As a result, sparing the church of Jesus Christ, his bride, fully from the judgments and persecution. All right, here's the deal. Some of you are already falling asleep. Here's what I, here's what I need you to understand. This ha is gonna take some work. You're gonna have to be diligent. And it's gonna take some work, but it's important that we know this stuff. Okay, so are you, are you willing to hang with me? Come on, let's get after it. I, my, my biggest fear on this and the reason I fought it so bad was because it's gonna feel like a seminary course on eschatology. I don't want that to happen. You know me and you know that I am more of a practical uh, preacher than a technical preacher um, but this is gonna feel really school-like. This is gonna feel real classroom-like but hang with me, please. Okay, so if you need another cup of coffee, go get another one. They probably still have it going and let's dig in, all right? So that's the pre-tribulation rapture. Here's the mid-tribulation rapture. The mid-tribulationalists place the rapture at the halfway point of the seven-year tribulation. In other words, and everyone agrees that there, is a, there are two halves to the tribulation and the rapture will take place at the beginning of the second half after three and a half years in. In this view, the Christians would be subject to the first half of the tribulational turmoil and the suffering, but spared from the escalated suffering of the great tribulation, which is when God pours out his wrath on the earth. Post-tribulation rapture. Those who take the post-tribulation approach, they believe that Christ will rescue his church at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. You notice that all three believe that Christ is going to come and rescue his church, his bride, take his bride home, right? It's just they all disagree as to when. 
They also believe, the post-tribulationalists, that the church would remain present during the full extent of the persecution on the earth. And this view pairs the rapture and the second coming into one event. They don't see it as two different events. I was talking to a buddy of mine this week, and he said, um, well, you missed the fourth main view. I go, what's the fourth main view? I didn't know there was a fourth main view. He goes, the fourth main view is the pan-tribulationalists. I said, the pan-tribulationalists? He goes, yeah, we all believe it'll all pan out in the end. <laughs> Corny. All right, so um, where do we land, okay? And when I say we, I'm talking about the historical position taught at this church by the pastors of this church. I don't know for sure, but I know back already 50 years from my time right now, 50 years, and the pastors that have been here for the past 50 years have all taught a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. That's where we stand. I'm gonna unpack that for you probably in, t in its entirety next week. I was gonna try to get into two points of it this week and we never did in the first service, so we probably won't in this, in this one either. So here's what I wanna do. Um, I want to give you some reasonings and then a little more depth in the mid-tribulation and post-tribulations. I am not going to exhaustively give you why they believe that. You can do that on your own. I'm gonna give you just a picture of why they believe what they believe and how it differs from the pre-tribulational rapture, okay? Here we go, mid-tribulation view. You should see the look on your faces. You're like, hey, <laughs> So the mid-tribulation view is that the rapture occurs at the midpoint of the tribulation. All right, those who hold to this, they view and interpret the 70th week in the books of Daniel and Revelation, which is describing the seven years of the tribulation as divided into two distinct halves. So does everybody else. The first half corresponds with the seal and trumpet judgments. You can read about those in Revelation 6 through 11. So there are these seals and trumpets and judgments that are poured out on the earth during that time in the first three and a half years. In the second half, they, um, there are what's called the bull judgments in Revelation 16 and beyond. And that's the, at the halfway point, and it's called the great tribulation. And this is when God pours out his wrath and his anger upon mankind for their sins. And so the mid-tribulationalists believe that the rapture is going to, we're gonna live through the first half and be subject to the natural disasters on the earth that are gonna happen in the first half. And then the Lord's gonna rescue the church and take us away and so that we don't experience the wrath of God being poured out on man because we have been saved from the wrath to come, the scripture says. That's what I believe also. So they believe that we'll be raptured at the midpoint and go to be with the Lord. The post-tribulation view, the rapture occurs at the end of the tribulation before Christ returns, okay? That's key for them. And they uh, believe that Christians will endure the tribulation and its devastating judgments. So they believe that they will not only experience the first half of the judgments on, in the earth, they'll also experience the wrath of God being poured out on mankind. And they refer to Matthew 24, you can turn there if you want, uh, Matthew 24, nine. Jesus is describing what is happening in the tribulation period and they believe that this period includes the church of Jesus Christ, that you and I will be here for this when they deliver you up to tribulation, this is verse nine, and put you to death. 
You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. They believe that that is the church is involved in those people and is speaking of the church. And so instead of anticipating that the church will be either totally or partially delivered from this judgment, the church will have to endure the entire judgments coming in the tribulation period. But they believe and they would teach that somehow God will miraculously put a bubble over his people and protect his people from his wrath affecting them, and yet we will still be devastatingly affected, but we will not be condemned under God's wrath. That's what they would teach. All right, um, that's the big picture of the two, of the two views of mid-trib and post-trib. So let me show you this chart on what I believe to be an accurate picture of the basic order of end-time events. So we are pre-tribulationalists, and this is a chart that would show that pre-tribulation rapture, okay? Now, um, here's what I want you to know. Some of you are asking for you know, passages and everything like that so that you can study this on your own. We're going to give you that on Monday. We're gonna work on that. So tomorrow, we're gonna put that out there for you so you can look for that. I don't know exactly how that will post, how, what we will post that on, but we will get that to you that will have what I'm gonna share with you right now and this timeline with a bunch of passages in it. One teenager, I loved it, just blessed my heart. One of our teenage gals came up to me last week and said, can I have a list of that so that I can share that with people about why I believe in a pre-tribulational rapture? I'm like, absolutely, we'll get that to you. So that's coming, okay? But we've got, first of all, the rapture. In the pre-tribulational um, view, the rapture happens before the tribulation starts. And so the rapture will happen and then there's what I believe to be a gap period. I cannot prove that from scripture, but, but common sense would tell us that there's got to be a time between the rapture of the church and the signing of the, um, the peace treaty with Israel and the Antichrist that is the beginning point. Okay, so there's a gap period. I'm gonna come back to that. And then there's the beginning point of the tribulation there at the green. What's gonna happen there is the world leader at the time, which will be the Antichrist, he's gonna rise to power. He's gonna broker a deal with Israel, a peace treaty with Israel and what's called the many. I'm not exactly sure who the many are. And that will automatically, officially begin the seven-year tribulation period, okay? Then we get to the midpoint of the tribulation where the Antichrist is gonna break his covenant with Israel, defile the temple, put up an image. Some believe it'll be the image of himself, but he will put up an image or an idol in the temple and require everybody to worship the image. And then he will initiate a worldwide globalism, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and require every man, woman, and child to take the mark of the beast. Now, if you don't take the mark of the beast and you don't have the mark on you, you're in big trouble in the tribulation. This is at the three and a half year point. He will declare that everybody has to have the mark or you won't eat, you won't be able to buy anything, you won't be able to sell anything or trade anything, you won't be able to travel. They will know who you are and who you aren't because you will not have the mark. Those who do not have the mark will be subject to death persecution, imprisonment, all kinds of suffering and torture. Those who take the mark will be marked for eternity and will die 
a death in torment forever in hell. That is what will happen at the midpoint. Now, I want to talk about the gap here just a little bit, okay? Because there is something called the Ezekiel 38 war that will happen. You can go to Ezekiel 38 and you can study it. But what will happen is there is a, there is a figurehead, a leader in the north from Israel, of Israel. Um, we believe it to be Russia, named Gog. Some believe he's a demon. Some believe he's an actual world leader. But Gog will be full of himself and will embolden himself when he sees Israel um, unprotected and yet prosperous. And he'll notice that Israel's unprotected. And so the scripture says, and God's working this all out. You can go there and, and, and work on it in yourself in Ezekiel chapter 38. Because God is going to declare He's gonna, these are gonna declare war, and I'm gonna tell you who they are in just a minute. They're gonna declare war on Israel, but then God is going to declare war on them for his own glory. In fact, it says that you're going to be full of yourself and you're going to convince yourself that now is the time to come against Israel, but he says, I'm going to have what you don't know is I'm gonna have hooks in your jaw and I'm gonna be pulling you down to this war so that I can show the world that I am God. You might think that you are. And so Russia is going to go and talk to the leaders of Iran, which is Persia, and Turkey, and they're going to form an alliance with a handful of other nations in that region, and the scripture says that they are going to come down and declare war against Israel when they think Israel is vulnerable. Following me so far? Okay. Now I'm going off script a little bit. Are you watching the news right now? Is it interesting to you how Russia is flexing its muscles right now? Some actually believe, and I kind of believe this to be true. I can't prove it to be true. Some believe that, that Vladimir Putin is Gog. And he is seeing, he's testing the waters right now. And he is saying in his mind, Israel's vulnerable. Because who's been protecting Israel? America has been. And Israel's just a small nation. But they're prosperous and the Lord is blessing them and they've all come back. You know, we're living in Ezekiel 36 and 37 right now. Ezekiel 36 and 37 is the, is the prophecy that I will bring all of my scattered children home back to their land. And they will receive their land and I will make them prosperous again. And I will, did you know that um, those of you who went to Israel with us last time, our leader was Gila. She was our, our tour leader. She just put on um, her Facebook this past week the beautiful blooming of the desert that's happening all around her. See, God says, and he promised in Ezekiel 37 and 36, he promised, I will bring you back and I will flourish the land again. I will make you prosperous and fruitful again. That's happening. We're living in that right now. Then comes this Ezekiel 38 war. When Russia's going to be emboldened, they're gonna get Turkey and Iran, they're gonna come down with other nations against Israel. I don't know this, I can't prove this, but as I watch the news, you guys, what's fun is that we get to read these, th these prophetic things, and then when we see them start to unfold, we're like, this makes sense because God prophesied about it. It's possible 
that what Russia is doing, what Putin is doing in trying to go into Ukraine is just testing the waters to see what America's going to do. And what's America going to do? Well, you guys don't watch the news? Nothing. You know why? Because we got weakness at the top. And the Bible says that they're going to observe that Israel doesn't have protection. And once they observe that, they will be emboldened and then they will ally together and they will come down and they will come down and they'll say, now is the time to strike. Now I have that in that 30, in that gap period, this Ezekiel 38 war, because some believe, many, many teach that the rapture is going to happen and then that Ezekiel 38 war. So think about the devastation. The rapture happens. All these people disappear from the planet. Did I talk about this last week about children? You wanna, you wanna just test your brain on something? Think about the rapture and think about the, all the children that are, that are before the age of accountability. I don't believe God will leave them behind. And so all these children that are alive at the time of the rapture, not only will all the believers go, but any children, I, I can't prove this, but I believe this based on what I believe about children who are aborted and, and babies who die, that children before the age of accountability, whatever that age is, will actually be raptured also. Think about the devastation in families and non-believing families when their children disappear. Think how crazy that will be worldwide. And then the emboldenment of Russia and Iran and Turkey to say, now's the time to strike. The world is in chaos. Now's the time to take Israel and take their land and come down. I'm not exactly sure when all of that's gonna happen, but here's what I know. I know for a fact it's going to happen. The Ezekiel 38 war is going to happen. And it's gonna be so devastating. What's awesome is that God says, Israel, I will protect you. I will be your God. I will take care of you. They will not have to fight this war. In fact, God says in Ezekiel 38 that those armies are gonna come down out of the north and he's gonna confuse them and he's gonna make them, he's gonna reroute them to come down through the mountains and they're gonna lose most of their army in the mountains because God's going to strike them down with earthquakes and cliffs falling on them and hailstones coming down and fire and brimstone is going to attack these people while they're trying to come down against his people and God says Israel you're not going to lift a finger because I'm going to let the world know that I am God and I will take care of my own how awesome is that think about the devastation think about right now that's going to happen and we will know it the world will know it everyone will have their phones out everything's going to be happening and God is going to supernaturally deliver his people Israel He's gonna confuse them in the mountains so much they're gonna drop their, their, their swords, they're gonna drop their weapons, they're gonna start fighting amongst themselves and start wiping each other out. And God will declare a great victory and their bodies will be laying everywhere. He will defeat the entire span of their armies. In fact, he says to Ezekiel, call the, uh, call the, the ravens and call the, um, what am I trying to say? Who, what are those vultures? Call the vultures. Call the vultures and call the ravens and call the wild animals. Let them come and feast on the bodies of God's enemies and get drunk with their blood. 
and God will declare himself a great victory. Think about the state of the world. The reason I believe that that's gonna happen in the gap period is because when the rapture happens and the devastation happens from that, and then Russia and Iraq and Turkey and or Iran and Turkey and all those other nations that co- that go along with them were going to be completely wiped out and wipe out that entire region. Think about the leadership gap that there is going to be in the world, which perfectly sets up the timing for the Antichrist to rise up and say, "I have a plan. I will take care of it." Israel, we fear your God. Your God, because God says, I will let the whole world know that I am God and, I, and Israel is my people. And so can think, about, think about the Antichrist who is a type of Christ and sets himself up to walk in and say, Israel, God, your God is God and we're gonna sign a peace treaty with you and then he's going to establish himself as the world leader. Okay. That was all free. All right. And um, I just want you to know where I believe all of that falls into place. You want it, the crazy cool thing is we could be living on the eve of all of that right now. Right now. I think it's lining up. I think the things we're seeing are getting us ready for this. Crazy time to be alive. Awesome time to be alive. Scary time to be alive, kind of, but in a good way, because we believe in Jesus. Okay, after the midpoint, the return of Christ will come, where Christ will physically return to earth, followed by the raptured church age believers, okay? So the scripture is clear that when Jesus comes, he's coming with the saints in heaven and the angels of heaven, the armies of heaven, and so we are going to come with him riding in white robes, riding on white horses, coming with Jesus. This is his second coming. He will come and he will set his feet on the Mount of Olives. He will establish his kingdom and his reign for the thousand year millennial reign where he will reign from his throne in Jerusalem for a thousand years. During that time, Satan will be bound. But then at the end of that thousand years, Satan's gonna be released for a little battle, a little time. And then he will be quickly defeated and thrown permanently into the lake of fire. And then heartbreakingly comes the great white throne judgment, which is the event when all non-believers throughout all of history will stand before God to be judged and sadly thrown into the lake of fire, which is hell forever. Believers will not stand before God at this great white throne judgment. We will be there present, but we will not stand before God because Jesus took our sin, took our judgment upon himself and the wrath of God upon himself and spared us from that and saved us from that. Praise the Lord. And then we enter into the new heaven and the new earth when Jesus says, I will make all things new. All right, my intent was to give you the first two Reasons why we hold to a pre-tribulational rapture. I'm not going to do that um, today. I'll give you all five next week. So just hang on, okay? Because I want to end with with something that um, came to me actually last night. So are you okay? So just relax. We're done now. Um, school's over. Um, I have in my hand 
I don't know if you're following what's happening in Canada, but it's crazy. And it's happening just over our northern border. This isn't happening in some faraway land. It's right here on our continent. And um, I have in my hand an open letter to Justin Trudeau and the federal government from 29 pastors who wrote to them. Can I read excerpts of this to you? Um, Because you know what's happening. People are trying to protest the mandates and and all that, and they just want to be heard. And Trudeau has established, set himself up as a tyrant and doing all kinds of things, freezing people's assets and taking over their bank accounts and persecution is starting to happen, Um, you know, canceling people's license plates and, and truck insurance and all that kind of stuff. Well, this is what they write to him. We are writing to you as representative pastors of Christian congregations from across the nation and as law-abiding citizens who respect the God-defined role of civil government and uphold the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, the highest law of the land, now listen to this, which recognizes the supremacy of God over all human legislators. That's their charter. Love that. For the past two years, we have sought to respectfully and peaceably make known to all levels of government our profound concern about the indefinite suspension of civil liberties, coercive mandates, and perpetual state interference in the life, freedom, and worship of the church. They have shut churches down up there, and they put pastors in prison for opening their churches. We have some missionaries that haven't been to church because their church can't meet. As ambassadors of Christ, while we respect your office as a public servant and honor the limited role of civil authority as a ministry of public justice, we do not hesitate to fulfill our responsibility as servants of the living God by unapologetically reminding you that Jesus Christ is Lord and King and the ruler of the kings of the earth. He sets up kings and pulls down the mighty from their thrones and none can stay his hand. In the words of the same scripture engraved on the Peace Tower of Ottawa and written into our very national coat of arms, he's gonna read a passage. What's really cool is that evidently there is a Peace Tower in Ottawa just north of us here, and in their national coat of arms is this verse from Psalm 2.10. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. They're reminding them that that is on their statue. Mr. Trudeau, with great respect, You are neither the king nor the ruler of Canada. Both you and your colleagues are public servants sent for a short time to parliament at our behalf as citizens to govern under God in terms of the Canadian charter and to seek harmony of public legal interest. You do not grant people rights and responsibilities that are theirs as God's image bearers and a free people. And since you do not grant them, you have no authority to remove them. As such... 
We as Christian pastors condemn in the strongest possible terms your unprecedented invoking of the Emergency Powers Act with the intent of bringing unaccountable state power to bear on peaceful citizens, men, women, and children who have been stripped of their fundamental freedoms for two years and who have, in many cases, lost everything as a result of your government's mandates. We implore you to step back from the brink, restore the constitutional freedoms of the people, respect the God-given rights of our citizenry, and above all, to humble yourself and take a knee before Christ the King, lest you perish in the way. We urge you to repent of the sins of pride, rebellion against God, and bearing false witness. Our hope and prayer for you and your government is that you will lift the emergency measure and these lawless mandates and enact justice for a people who elected you to that purpose. Wow. Praise the Lord. This is coming to a province near you. I don't know if you're watching, but they're already putting up fences around D.C., Washington, D.C. They are, um, I'm being told that there is a trucker's caravan or convoy that's starting in California and working its way to Washington. We could be very much facing the exact same things where our government becomes tyrannical and authoritarian and begins doing things they have no right to do in our country, in this free country of ours. I just want you to know that when this comes, I will be one of these pastors. I will stand with other pastors and I will lead, I will lead by the power of the Holy Spirit and the strength and wisdom of the men that are helping lead this church, we will lead you as a congregation into how we should respond. But this is appropriate. But I want you to know, because things are getting worse and worse, that these, these pastors, this document will be considered some kind of lawless, um, what's the word I'm trying to use? I'm worn out, what? Terrorism, that's the word I'm trying to use. That they're somehow trying to incite violence against the government. Is that what this is doing? No, it is not. They're calling them to be what they have been called to be. And when this happens in our country, we will do the same. I don't know what it will look like. And I don't, it will be very frustrating. It'll be a very sensitive time uh, for all of us. But I wanna end with this um, today. And then I wanna pray for Canada. So let's just go ahead and stand and let me just read this to you. It comes out of Titus 2.11. For the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Can you just do that with me? The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Get this now. While we wait for the blessed hope, which I believe is the rapture of the church, the appearing 
of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What are we supposed to do in the middle of all this? We are supposed to say no to unrighteousness. And we're supposed to live upright, godly lives in the present age where we find ourselves. We are salt and light. Until Jesus raptures us home, we are to be salt and light for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Being the restrainer of evil because we possess the Holy Spirit of God that is holding back evil from just being controlled, controlling over the entire world. Let's go live like that today. Listen, if you need Jesus Christ, we want to help you. We had a dear woman come up afterwards and say, I was raised Catholic, and I'm listening to all this. This is the first time I've ever heard anything about a rapture. I need Jesus. If you need Jesus, come to him today, while it is today, and while the Lord is calling you. Father, help us. And would you help, first of all, help our godly pastors in Canada and the churches, the true churches in Canada to know how to respond, know how to stand and to be bold no matter what the outcome. Help us to help them in any way that we can. Help us to find a way if there is a way. And when the time comes for us, help us to stand. But Lord, those pastors need your strength. They need your wisdom and counsel. They need to know how to lead God's people through this. I pray that you'll help them and strengthen them. Strengthen their families if they get dragged away into prison or, or worse. Lord, we are your people and we are resolved to stand, to say no to ungodliness and to stand for righteousness and to live solid, righteous, peaceful lives until you come to take us home. And we will be faithful as a congregation. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for your patience. We'll see you next week. Unless the Lord returns and takes us home. Thank you for joining our worship service today. Our prayer is that God is using the worship and the message to inspire you to love him, love people, and influence the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you made a spiritual decision today or would like somebody to pray with you, you can let us know by clicking the connection card link. If you haven't yet, you can download our church app where we post upcoming events and announcements, and you can share this week's message with a friend. You can also check out our website at fbcelkart.org to stay connected with us. God bless, have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Sunday.